morning, City Church. Barry Saunders here with a moment of sanity at the start of your day, a moment of truth from God's Word, a moment of grace. Our Advent series officially starts on Thursday, but today's lectionary includes an unexpected Advent story, so consider this episode an on-ramp to good things to come. Here's a fun fact about our family. Emily, Allie, Luke, and I all have birthdays within the same week in November. This year, we took the shared experience route to celebrate. The weekend before Thanksgiving, we packed up three generations, the five-year-olds up through the 60-somethings, and headed to New York City. New York was already decked out for the holidays, so even the car rides to the hotel kicked holiday spirits into high gear. Tucker greeted me with exuberance. Granddad, New York might be my favorite city. It has everything, even a Nintendo store. This is going to be awesome. And it was, especially the Rockettes Christmas Spectacular, which, as it has every year since 1933, ends with a majestic and moving enactment of the Nativity the show's exclamation point at the end of a loose plot line that magically takes the audience on a journey through cultural traditions like dancing Samthas and toy soldiers before arriving at the manger. With our New York trip still top of mind, I came upon a very different version of the Christmas story in today's lectionary from Luke 20. You might want to brace yourself for this one. It sits in sharp contrast to the soul-swelling grandeur of the Rockettes' nativity. Here's the context for this version of the Christmas story. Jesus has recently run the money changers out of the temple. Then he's put the priests and elders in their place again, so they are full on plotting to kill him. He turns to the crowd, the leaders still in earshot, and he shares his most autobiographical parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tennis farmers and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do? the owner asked himself. I know. I'll send my cherished son, whom I love. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen, his listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The vineyard was a well-known metaphor for Israel. Disputes between absentee landlords, their representatives, and tenants were common, and the leaders recognized that Jesus was indicting them again. What does it have to do with Christmas, though? This parable summarizes the biblical narrative that leads us to the coming of the Christ. God creates humans in his image and gives us charge of caring for his creation. We trade that glorious identity and intimacy for futile attempts to be God and... Our vineyards of life become places of selfishness, strife, and conflict. God sends messengers to call his people back to relationship with him. Over and over again, we ignore his call, grasping desperately to our own attempts to be godlike. So God sends Jesus, his beloved son, to be with us, save us from ourselves, and show us a better way. Rejected and killed, 
Jesus rises from death and becomes the cornerstone upon which God will rebuild our lives and his kingdom. At the center of the parable lies this question, what will I do? The owner asked himself. And this answer, I know, I'll send my cherished son whom I love. Which brings to mind John's concise yet sweeping summary of the Christmas story in chapter three of his gospel. This is how much God loves the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have whole and lasting life. I'm grateful for both of these introductions to Christmas this season, friends. While they feel a good bit discordant, the sense of wonder we enjoyed in New York is serving as a herald to more vital and meaningful reflections and anticipation of welcoming and celebrating the incarnation of the Christ. I hope that Advent brings similar experiences for you. Until tomorrow, City Church, stay well and do good.